Pas vrai, où est tout papa Dis-moi où est tout papa Sans mettre fort des pareils C'est ce qui ne va pas Un sacré papa Dis-moi où est tout caché Sa droit, ferrement mais faut que j'ai I feel great. This is a podcast brought to you by DigitalOcean. My name is Yuna Kravitz, and we have... I'm Sam Fippen. I'm an engineer at DigitalOcean. Uh, today, we're just kind of talking about life as engineers here. We're talking about um, conferences. We're talking about why we don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> TV All those good things. <laughs> Music that we like. Music that we like. Food, maybe. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. see how this goes. Oh, so it's conference season. It's conference season. Both of us are working on far, far too many talks. This, this is why we're not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's exciting because you get to go to these conferences, interact with people that are doing things that, like, these are the people that care so much about the web and about these communities that they're going to go to the conferences, right. going to apply to speak or definitely attend. Yeah, it's interesting, because last night somebody asked me, like, why I go to so many conferences and what I get out of them, and I had to, like, very carefully maneuver around, I like getting on a stage and speaking, and instead focus on, like, what makes conferences really good, and I think the thing that struck me is that, like, you're engaging with the top, you know, 10, 5% of whichever particular community it is you're interested in, and, like... Having seen people who are really engaged is always just very, very exciting to me. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. And also just the knowledge sharing when you're there. Yeah. Like, I really like going to smaller community conferences. <laughs> I got like my start in this whole totally. spiel from SASConf, and it was a small conference, maybe 150 to 200 people who went, but it was all the people who were writing and maintaining SAS. So you got to talk to them about what they were thinking, the decisions that they were making, why, and then have input on that. And also, like, you get to see browser implementers and talk to them about kind of, like, the APIs that are coming down the pipeline. And that's my world, at least. My realm of engineering is really front-end and, like, <laughs> browser-focused. It's really funny you said that because I can now vividly remember being at RubyConf last year and um, encountering a particular issue with uh, JRuby. And instead of, like going on to GitHub and ping the maintainer, I just walked up to him and was like, yo, I need 30 minutes of your time. And he's like, all right, what's up? And I showed him and he was like, this bug shouldn't be possible, but it's real, so all right, that seems fine. And it was nice to like get that face-to-face -face interaction, you know, where it's like, I get to work with the other maintainers in my community to be like, this is what six months of the future is going to look like, and we will get together and have that interaction, which is super nice. Yeah, I think it's really valuable. To me, I really feel like going to a conference, if you can, will kind of skyrocket your career growth. And a big reason why is because you're going to be around these people who are going to be inspiring you. Right. And that is really cool to see. I, I mean, I only have my job at DigitalOcean because I went to a Ruby conference in Miami in 2013. I have this job because I went to hackathons all throughout college, <laughs> and I met our director of design, not, uh, not director, but uh, design manager here, Joel, 
who was then like, there aren't that many people who have a design background that go to hackathons. It's kind of a small subset right, right. <laughs> of this community. And so it was kind of similar where it's like not a conference per se, but it's this group of people who are just nerding out for 40 hours. Yeah, so, so I met Sam Kotler poolside at this hotel in Miami. He was working at Red Hat at the time, and we were sort of talking about Ruby maintainer life. And then years later, I'm looking for a job, and I'm like, hey, Sam, I would like to work at DigitalOcean. He's like, let me hook you up. See, you make these connections. Yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting to think that like that's really sort of the reason I ended up working here more than anything else. I think a big part of what developers don't realize is that these like quote unquote soft skills and networking and like being able to present yourself right. and write about your work are almost more important than the actual work you're doing. Because if you're doing really good work, like you're a Ruby developer, if you're writing excellent code, but you're not sharing that, who knows about it? You know, how yeah. can you influence and affect other people? A big yeah. part about being this, like, I hate the word influencer, but quote unquote influencer, <laughs> is the ability, thought leader. <laughs> thought leader, whatever. I hate that word. It's so, but it's fine. Um, a big part of that is helping other people and affecting their work, their day to day, right. by providing the tools and techniques and teaching them things yeah. that make their lives easier. Yeah. Well, like, now that I am a uh, post-technical. <laughs> Sam has invented this term for himself, <laughs> and it's called post-technical. <laughs> uh, Please explain. <laughs> well, I, I, basically, the, the technology lead for my team went away to have a baby, so I've been taking up a lot of the meetings that he's been going to, right? So like, I've been definitely having more conversations than writing code in recent weeks. Um, but yeah, I, that's kind of a joke. It's not serious. <laughs> It also actually Spread the word. <laughs> originate with me. It comes from uh, Tom, our staff engineer. So it's not like I just made that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, One of our designers made up the term full stack designer, and that has now gone around the ring. So <laughs> this is how it starts. <laughs> just wait. Yeah, you just start saying something. You're going to go to a conference and hear like a talk called Being Post-Technical. <laughs> this happened. <laughs> um, how's talk preparation going? Um, it's good. <laughs> so the thing is, I usually don't procrastinate on talks, uh -huh. um, and I usually like have this whole outline, and I think about this idea for a while, and a few months will propagate, honestly, and I'll be able to just yeah. add to it. But this time around, for some reason, I decided, you know, it's fine, I'll just <laughs> wait until a little later. So it's been a little hectic now, um, just getting it all together. Uh, all these talks I'm doing coming up are all live-coded. So that takes a lot of practice, right? right. <laughs> you know, um, but it, yeah, it's it's fun to do. I'm just excited for it to be over. <laughs> I um I once gave a, a talk where I did some live coding where I managed to mistype uh, initialize, which in Ruby is the constructor method name, and so I like just couldn't make the object I was trying to make, and I was like frantically panicking, trying to debug what was going on. And then somebody in the audience just yelled, initialize at me. I was like, thank you, random kind That's the best, yeah. <laughs> I really like audience interaction when you yeah. give talks. Yeah, but like I had practiced the heck out of that talk. I'd like done it maybe 10, 20 times like in practice and in my hotel room the day before and then just one single typo nearly brought the whole talk. Yeah, crashing. As as you need to, which, really. Yeah, which, like, for a live coding talk is always the most stressful uh, part. I 
tend to avoid it for the most part. But I appreciate your bravery. <laughs> there was there was one talk that I didn't see, but I heard about this when I was talking to somebody about live coding, uh-huh. uh, where this person went on stage and they were live coding the whole thing. Uh-huh. But throughout the talk, you kind of saw their hands like move more, and you saw them get a little looser with the screen. And by the end of the talk, they were just smacking on the keyboard. <laughs> it turns out it was all a video. Right. <laughs> the whole talk right. was video recorded, and it was just like this. <laughs> Like show, and I thought that was hilariously brilliant. I, I actually really like that approach. Like I've sort of stopped doing live coding in my talks, and if I need to show something being built, I'll just video it ahead of time and then play it. Um, I think, especially with sort of less experienced speakers, doing live coding is often a really big mistake. Oh yes. Like you have, like you have to have a developed ability to speak as well as the ability to sort of con- concentrate entirely on your computer while talking and that can be really difficult yeah and those talks I think it can go either way you need to sort of multitask also with your audience making sure they're being engaged right, right. they can see the screen um, good alternatives are using quotation marks like escaped inside your code so you can unquote it and show an example yeah um, or having your notes like written out so you know where you're going but you can also like have that conversation and also not live coding an entire talk this is an anomaly <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm not recommending this <laughs> Yeah, I'll be interested to see how live coding the entire talk turns out. Yeah, I I usually use um, browser-based talks anyway. So the other talk that I'm writing right now is all in CSS. It's about the power of CSS. It's about um, these UI components all made in CSS. At the end, the entire talk itself is presented in CSS. So it's like inception kind of. I'm doing live coding on the screen, but the uh, code blocks are all just style blocks that you can display block and content editable, edit on your screen. Like Everything is like native. And I think that that's kind of the cool twist in the talk, it's like, these are great examples, but then showing it used live in front of the audience, I think will be good. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, like, still to this day stick with Keynote. Like, I yet find a way to build presentations that's faster and more amenable to my presentation style. I really like it. It's good. A lot of people do use Keynote, and I was actually really surprised. I was speaking at an event apart in Seattle uh, the other week, which is a really big conference, and the people who speak at this conference are, like, they have a lot of experience and they're hand selected and they have been doing talks forever. And I was showing them my presentation, which is done in Reveal.js. And they were just like, oh, I didn't realize that you could do that. Like you can write this in HTML. And the only reason why I do it is because I started this way five years ago because it was like new and exciting. I thought that was like super cool. (laughs) And I'm just more used to it. And it just lends well to coded presentations. The moment I need a dynamic element in my presentation, I find that having them in the browser and JavaScript is a really good solution. So, like, I remember once I gave a presentation internally to one of my clients, one of the past companies I worked at, and I, like, was doing some load testing on their site. So what I did is I had them all, like, simultaneously load the site up on their phones or whatever, and then I was like, is that responsive? And they were like, yeah, it seemed to load really quickly, and I, like, clicked and showed a real-time counter of how many requests per second the site was doing, and they were all the face in the room just dropped. And oh, I like, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like big reveal. Like I made your system more scalable via crazy hacks, but like 
That was that was a really good one where I was like, there's no way to get a real-time request per second counter into a keynote presentation. Yeah. Or, or at least not one that I know of. So this was a nice solution. I think a really good thing to think about if you want to give presentations or conference talks is how is this presentation different than a blog post somebody can just read by themselves at home? Like, what makes it unique? What are they getting out of this? You know, and I think that a lot of presentations could be written as a blog post, but the most memorable ones are the ones that you either felt something or learned something or were inspired or all three that are unique to the situation. So I think yes and no. Um, I've certainly been guilty of giving presentations in the past that summarized, <laughs> your blog post. summarized by a six, <laughs> six paragraph blog post. In fact, the talk I was supposed to give at RailsConf last year but ended up not being able to uh, literally was the presentation version of a six paragraph blog post that I wrote. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. I think part of it is that like people are more engaged in person and so if you feel like there's a message that you specifically want to communicate to that real like in-person audience like that's fine and it doesn't like you can still put that content on the internet and I actually know many speakers who take their talks and sort of transliterate them into blog posts. So yeah, like, I like that. I've seen that a few times. Tom Stewart is a really good example of this, where for every single one of his talks that he does, he also like writes them up, but it's not a strict transcript of what he said in his slides. It's like re-edited to make sense as a like bottom to top piece of reading as opposed to beginning to end presentation, which I think is really interesting. The other thing about writing blog posts is it's easier to compensate for being bad at sequencing information because the reader can sort of scroll up and down and move around. But in a presentation, you really don't have that opportunity because the speaker dictates the flow of information, right? Information sequencing and hierarchy are extremely valuable. And this kind of goes along with that idea of the soft skills that developers don't really get, especially like if you go to computer science school, like you're not going to be learning about communication and public speaking and even just information sequencing. And I found that here, something I've started to do was use illustration in technical documentation. And I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback for that. And I've seen like a lot more care from other developers in their visual presentation of blog posts and other things. It just makes text more scannable, readable, and understandable. I remember when you came up to my desk and was, can you explain <laughs> how an event executes at DigitalOcean to me? And I'm like, sure, let's grab a conference room. And I like scribble it out on a whiteboard. And you're like, so these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's basically right. And then you do this like beautifully illustrated, like top to bottom, like iconographic representation of it. And I'm just like, it's just the same diagram with some trees on it. <laughs> and then we post both pictures into, like, Slack, and everyone's like, yay, you And I'm like, Because uh -huh. you couldn't read yours. In your head, you could read it. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, I was using one of those faded out pens. As well. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, it, it was really hard to see it in the picture regardless. But mm -hmm. yours, yours Excuses. Definitely, <laughs> yours definitely was more beautiful. And we're using it for onboarding, more importantly now. Sure. And it's, it's something that you can share and iterate on and right. have be, like, some kind of of visual representation of a complex process that is DO. Totally. And not have a grumpy British man explain it. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can still use it, you know, yeah. if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so since then, like, we did some block, uh, documentation on testing, and we've done um, just, like, kind of a few other things. The other benefit of visualizing 
or diagramming technical concepts is you could find like kinks in the road. If there's ever something that should be connecting a certain way and you draw it out, it's way easier to understand than just text-based. So you can see like, oh, maybe we should fix that. (laughs) Right. And yeah, I, mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, promote simplicity too. Make everything DO simple. Oh, yes. Let's, (laughs) let's throw that in there. (laughs) Brand. Um, so, what else should we talk about? Let's talk about, let's talk about what we do here at the company. So, we both work at a product-focused company, but neither of us works on the actual product. True. We do, but we don't work on specific, like, building features. We both work on, like, more horizontal features, and from different perspectives. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I think... I take a slightly different take on what I do, which is that, like, my team is responsible not for building support for our products, but rather building the support product, if that makes sense. So That's, I mean, like, internal tools. So the, Yeah, so the individual feature teams are still responsible for giving support the capabilities they need to support those features, but all of those pieces of support functionality live within centralized tools that my team uh, maintains. And that's that's been super interesting because it means that my customers are directly DigitalOcean support staff as opposed to like our sort of actual customers who give us money. And that's been very interesting because it means that like when I break something, I get near real-time feedback from whoever's on shift in Slack immediately. Or like when a new thing rolls out and it's not quite working, like they can let us know and like I've really enjoyed having that super tight feedback loop with the with the people who normally use the things that I build. And it's it's worth noting, right, that DigitalOcean support staff are themselves extremely technical. Like, they know how to do debugging Linux servers and how to fix your WordPress install. And, and they're also the nicest people you'll ever yeah, meet. Yeah, they're so, so <laughs> very nice. Um, and then, you know, we have our, like, slightly secondary um, support teams like Trust and Safety and Cloud Operations and... Uh, they have different requirements as well, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I I kind of have the same thing where what I do is um, internal tools for the front end piece yeah. of cloud, like what you see when you go to digitalocean.com. Well, cloud.digitalocean.com is the logged in version. Um, that's that's an application. So there's two different sides of the application. There's the front end that the user interacts with, and then there's the cloud side of things that I don't deal with. <laughs> I had to draw a diagram to understand. <laughs> um, but the developers who work in the front end um, need tooling as well to make their lives easier. So that's what we're doing. We're focusing on metrics and monitoring, making sure our site is accessible, performance creating a style system that allows for them to just quickly build and not have to really think about all those things. Um, And that's been a challenge because now we're not only building this new system, but we have to make sure it integrates with the existing system. So how do you build something new and refactor something at the same time and then try to prevent like crust from building up while you're actively building on it? And like things are constantly changing. There's always new components. There's always things that are getting removed. Like who's in charge of the stuff? Um, so it's really just this like massive like horizontal challenge that I find very interesting. Were you recruited onto that team, or did you, you join it afterwards, after you joined, right? 
I joined after. So when I joined here, I was doing UI engineering, which was built, working on the marketing site, like the DigitalOcean.com site, um, and like any microsites, Hacktoberfest, all those things. Um, but we built this design system for that, and we did this like case study compared to the old website, and it was like one and a half seconds faster to load. We removed a lot of cruft. We made the CSS much more lean. Um, we made it much more accessible. So we decided to then transition that system that we built into the cloud application. So now this is kind of transitioned and moved so that we can support both marketing efforts, any efforts that we have with like bringing in um, additional products, making it look like our brand, and then also working on our own product to make that better. Oh. We gotta make it responsive. <laughs> it's like killing me personally. Um, yeah. Well, I can assure you, none of our internal support tooling is responsive in the slightest. That. Yeah, that's next. <laughs> See, if we do this well, then we can transition that from not just like public things, marketing things, cloud to also internal tools. Yeah, but I mean, no, nobody on support is working on less than one 32 inch monitor, and most of them use like five or six. Actually. You don't realize how much you're missing until you have it. Sure. Like that workflow can definitely be improved, and just because it's oh, something you're used to, you know. I mean, I mean, no, no, no. Some of those tools are wildly imperfect, but the, I think, it can be well argued that making them fully responsive is not the most important thing. On the well, it's not about your device. It's about the fact that if you have multiple screens on your own computer system, you never know what viewport you're seeing it at. Sure. And there's also the idea of like being responsive, not just to your computer system, but also to your environment. So this kind of takes out of the idea of just like the viewport with responsive and like, what is responsive really? This buzzword, but now that can mean offline, like in the subway in New York, if I need to access something, can I access it? What, is, what does that look like? Are we going to have some kind of view that shows, hey, you're offline or just for a four page? Like, which one's better? Like, are we going to have things that understand like ambient light queries for better visual experiences and like there's so much out there and the browser API is just getting better and better um, that there's a lot to explore with this idea of responsive <laughs> it's a buzzword just like a, what, what was it a not trendsetter thought leader I also hate the word unicorn so much because my name is Una and I thought it would be really cute to like use that as my personal brand but now unicorn is like a technical term for a few things but the worst one is like someone who can do design and engineering and UX and copy oh, really? yeah and there's also like the startup unicorn right. billion dollar startup right and so it's weird to like it sounds like I'm weirdly full of myself but just, it's just my name <laughs> you know? yeah I, I don't have that problem I just made my entire online brand Sam Fippen yeah which, which like really just kind of solves that problem yeah although like I have my new email alias party wizard at digitalocean.com which is, is interesting <laughs> yeah. I, I love like so DigitalOcean you can shorten to Dio right, right. so Dio.co is yeah. something that we use around here yeah. so now I have like a six letter email <laughs> right yeah you see like even party wizard at Dio.co is a really long email address I just sort of collect them <laughs> you just keep adding them yeah, yeah it's fine we should cut this out because I realized like or not oh yeah <laughs> I sometimes forget that we're recording. It's kind of the point. That's a good intro. <laughs> um, uh, what else is there? Do you want to talk about music? 
Oh yeah, let's talk about music. So Sam really wants to talk about music. <laughs> this podcast is about music sometimes. Tell me about this uh, this band you've been. Yeah. So so like earlier today, I was like, hey, you know, listen to this album, and you were like, why? And I was like, I think it would be fun to talk about it on the podcast, and we did. So the album is called End Credits by an artist called Eden. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums and has been for just over a year now. Um, the reason that it, I think it flashed into my head today beyond just sort of listening to it is um, like the album or the, the track from the album end credits uh, rolled into my Spotify Discover Weekly like the same time I was starting my interview process with DigitalOcean and it's like a very emotional piece well, of like a music. throwback yeah kind of but like the music is good I just listened to it like to be fair you know interviewing is stressful and dealing with recruiters is stressful and like I'm not casting aspersions on anyone who did part of that process here at all but like it sort of brings me back to this weird like emotionally heightened stressful state in my life where I was like I'm moving to New York maybe but interviewing is hard but oh my god what is going on with my life and I, yeah I really like it um What's the genre? Uh, indie poptimism. Is uh, that real? Yes, that is a real genre. Um, if, I mean, if we want to talk about that, like, there are a lot more genres of music than most people, like, traditionally classify. So, like, pop, rock, metal, house are all, like, sort of the most popular genres in the, the sense that um, music artists are closest to the centers of them. But, like, there are about... 3,000, 4,000 um, individual genre labels in sort of well-defined music catalog systems, and Indie Poptimism is one of them. It sounds like a Spotify title, like an album name. What, Indie Poptimism? Yeah. Like the name of a, a collected Spotify Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so, so actually, for every single one of these genre labels, Spotify has a, like, the Sound of X playlist, which groups all the most popular artists in that genre together so that you can like kind of get into it and learn about what a genre is so like if you wanted to get into say swedish hip-hop which is a genre they have a sound of swedish hip-hop label if you wanted to get into metropolis there is a sound of <laughs> metropolis genre um which yeah is like super super cool but like this like as the amount of recorded music that is available to everyone has increased right uh people who think about how to present, classify, and categorize music have had to massively expand their understanding of what music is. Oh, they had to scale? <laughs> but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm a dad in training, so... <laughs> <laughs> They've had to scale for billions, yes. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's like... So, in my past, I've, I've done some work in sort of what's called music information retrieval, which is field that does all of this stuff and yeah like I kind of have a nerdy obsession with nerdy obsession I love music. that it's like the it's one level removed you're my favorite kind of people <laughs> meta yeah uh, I went to a conference on library science which was really interesting about music those kids can party really hard it turns yeah. out academics are great great at partying but yeah. that's so interesting yeah I'm really into um, French electronica right now. Uh -huh. um, so I don't know how I got onto this. Actually, I do know how. I met somebody at a conference, and <laughs> <laughs> we hit it off as really good friends. And when I went to visit Seattle like a little while ago, um, I hung out with this person 
Um, and she introduced me to Stromae. And oh, I love Stromae. Oh, he's so good. So Stromae is this, like really interesting artist. Uh-huh. He's um, half Belgian, half Nigerian. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he's like six four, like super lanky, but does these really crazy like dances in his videos, and they're super artistic. And it's just such good music. And the music itself, lyrically, is really intense and political. Right. But it sounds like super poppy, and you wouldn't know it if you didn't look up the lyrics. Have, have you heard his one track, Papa Ute? Yes, it's so good. I, love that track. I don't know any French, but I know all of his lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never got quite to that level, but yeah, no, I know the song in. Pentatonics did a really good cover of it as well. They're great. Yeah. See, I know some music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just not as much as you, especially with the categorizing of all the things. I only sort of know about knowing about music and far too much about pop. Just all the pop music. <laughs> should we wrap up? Yeah, maybe we should. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. It's been fun chatting with this, you, Sam. This was a really fun chat. Yeah, hopefully you'll catch us next time. Cheers. <laughs>